like you to open your Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 14. I've got my little scripture portion. I love these little portions of scripture. This is just the book of Revelation by itself. I like to read out of these and study out of these, so I'm going to read this morning from it. Revelation 14, we're going to read all the verses. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder. The voice that I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. They were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and for the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw an, another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. An, another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen if fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. 
So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Now what we see in these verses in chapter 14 is simply the contrasting realities of the last days. Now what I've done is to try to help you understand this book, to try to help you just see the flow of it so that you're not frightened by it or confused by it when you read it. Uh, and so I see it as a layered book, not, not many different stories. Rather, it's just one story told over and over from different perspectives. And let me show you this. If we would, if we would go all the way back to chapter 6, I'm going to show you how chapter 6 through chapter, uh, through chapter uh, 7 and chapter 8 through chapter 11 and chapter 12 through chapter 14 all parallel one another with the same message. So in chapter 6, uh, the six seals, there's seven of them, but six of them move us right to the precipice of God's wrath. But before God's wrath falls in chapter 7, we meet for the first time the 144,000 who are mentioned here in chapter 14. Those are God's servants and they are sealed. Now I've told you that these numbers in the book of Revelation are less about math and more about mysteries. They're symbolic. The number represents the fullness of God's people on earth. They are sealed from the wrath of God. They are not sealed from sickness. They are not sealed from sorrow. They are not sealed from suffering. They are not sealed from death. They are not even sealed from the wrath of the dragon, but they are sealed from the wrath of God, and they're safe, and you'll see that as we continue. In chapter 8, then we're introduced to seven trumpets, and as the trumpets blew, we saw things happen, and one of the things that happened was the bottomless pit was opened, and the demons swarmed. Yet even during that time of great trouble, the church was witnessing, the lampstands were shining, but the beast that rises from the bottomless pit makes war on them and kills them. But ultimately, they're caught up to heaven in a cloud. And then comes the, the, the seventh trumpet or the last trumpet with this announcement. The kingdom, this is in chapter 11 now, beginning in verse 15. The kingdom of the, this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones fell before God on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It's judgment day, judgment day there at the end of chapter 11. But when we come to chapter 12, as we have already, we see uh, another story. And the story takes us all the way back, really, to the beginning of time, so to speak. It introduces us to the dragon. The dragon who, uh, when the child is born, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, 
wants to devour him. He wants to devour him because he wants to destroy God's purpose. He also wants to destroy God's people. It's a picture of what has been true throughout history and what will continue to be true. And the beast is first mentioned just in one verse, one simple verse in passing there in chapter 11. Uh, we don't hear any more about him. And in this chapter 14, you find Babylon mentioned in one verse, and then you don't hear any more about that until later. Uh, we'll find out more about that. But in chapter 13, we see the incarnation of Satan, the manifestation of Satan's fury in the person of the beast. The fury will be focused on the church, on the saints, on those who keep the commandments of God, we're told, and hold the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 13, verse 7, we're coming to chapter 14. I'm just walking you up to it. In chapter 13, verse 7, the Bible says the beast will be allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And the rest of the people on the earth will follow the beast and worship the dragon. No one on the earth will be able to buy or sell without taking the mark of the beast on their right hand or on their forehead. Those who refuse will be slain. That's what the Bible tells us. And so the fate of the church in the, on the earth in the last days, it'll be a suffering church. But when we come to chapter 14, where we are today, we come again to the very time of the end, the salvation of the church, and the judgment of those who worship the dragon. Most important now, here's the first and main point of the message in this that I brought you up to so far, is you need to see in this story two main groups of people. And these two main groups of people make up the folks in the rest of the book. They're either those who belong to the Lamb and have his mark, or those who belong to the beast and the dragon, and they bear his mark. So the decision that needs to be made by everybody today, and will be need to be made by everybody in the future, is who are you going to belong to? Are you going to belong to the lamb or are you going to belong to the dragon? Are you going to belong to Jesus or are you going to belong to the devil? And who do you belong to? So I'm going to unravel this chapter by coming at it from the middle. Remember, the key question for today is do you belong to the lamb or do you belong to the beast and to the dragon? Number one, in the last days, this is what we see, God will continue to warn the world inviting them to come to faith in Christ and escape judgment. If you read the 24th chapter of Matthew, as Jesus unfolds the last days, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in my name to all nations, and then the end will come. You see this continuing. Why is that so? Why is the why is the angel flying in midheaven? You see this, by the way, in verses 6 and 7, with an eternal gospel to proclaim. And he proclaims it to the whole world. Why is, the, why is this picture shown to us? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anybody to belong to the dragon or to the devil. He wants everybody to belong to the lamb or belong to Jesus. This message is proclaimed throughout the world. The urgency of the hour is proclaimed, and, and, and it tells us why the hour is urgent. Look at the verses. It says, for the hour of his judgment has come. And so because of that, 
people are urged to worship him, to fear him, and give him glory. Remember, there are going to be two groups of people in the last days. There will be those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and there will be those who worship the beast and the dragon. They either belong to the lamb or they belong to the dragon. Today, you either belong to the lamb, you belong to Jesus, or you belong to the dragon, that old serpent, Satan, and the devil. That's the message. Number two, here's number two. Those who belong to the lamb, that is the church, the saints, God's servants, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, will come under attack by the dragon and by the beast. And so as a result, during the last days, a great host of God's people will die. That's the scripture. Because they refused to take that mark. They don't care if they can buy or sell or not. They're going to die rather than take that mark because they're not going to bow to the dragon because they bow their knee only to Jesus Christ. Now look at verses 12 and 13. This is a direct reference to this time of suffering. You'll notice it says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their deeds follow them. This is an announcement made during those days, a days of great persecution in the life of the church. A days, this is an announcement of comfort for those who, who belong to Jesus, those who are suffering. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's under God's sovereignty. Now perhaps you can understand better the verses we read way back in chapter 6. I'm telling you, these are parallel stories, and I'm going to show you that from this passage. Chapter 6, I'm going back to chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Why would they be slain? They were slain. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And in chapter 6, if you read the rest of the story, right after they cry out and ask God, God, how long will it be? Right after that, the sky splits apart like a scroll. The stars fall from the sky, the sun turns black, the moon turns to blood, every mountain and island are moved out of their places, and the people who live on the earth cry out to the rocks and the mountains, and they say, fall on us and hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who's able to stand? It's just the end of the world. And so we're exactly at the same place in this chapter, chapter 14. Look at verse 15 and 16. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, 
with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. It was reaped. This is the harvest of the church. I hope you're able to see that. This is Jesus coming for those who belong to the Lamb. So will you be in this harvest? The one where Jesus comes and gathers his people to himself? Well, look at the next one. I don't think you want to be in it. Look at verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw it into the wine press of the wrath of God, and they stomped the grapes. And blood flowed in it. It's a picture it's the picture of the wrath of God. It's the judgment of those who belong to the beast and all who dwell on the earth. It's an awful picture of judgment. It's a picture of what happens to those who refuse to respond to God and his call to repentance. But it's not the worst picture. You say that's an awful, awesome picture of what happens. That's awful. It's not the worst picture. The worst picture is in verses 9 through 11. Now make no mistake about it, as we read the scripture and as we read this book, we're reading a book about the suffering church and about the church maintaining its faith and maintaining its hope, maintaining its confidence, maintaining its integrity, maintaining its faithfulness to Jesus in the last days. And the persecution of the church will be severe. But the church is going to be okay, and you'll see that in a minute. But look what happens to those who don't belong to Jesus. Look what happens to the followers of the beast. So the question this morning is, who do you belong to? Do you belong to the dragon? Do you belong to the beast? Or do you belong to the lamb? Do you belong to Jesus? Look what happens to those who belong to the beast. Verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also Drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Now it says sulfur in this translation, but it's brimstone. It stinks, sulfur smell. It's smelly, it's stinky, it's suffocating. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name, what is the full undiluted fury of the wrath of a holy God? Well, it's pictured here as a boiling, churning, burning, suffocating torment. It's forever and ever, no rest from it, no escape from it, no deliverance from it, and the great despair of it is it takes place in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The Lamb who would have saved you will watch you burn. That's the picture. That's an awful picture. Jesus, when he told about the, the parable of the tares and the wheat in Matthew, the 13th chapter, he said, you know, the, the good seed is, is sowed by the Son of Man, the, 
the field is the world and, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And then the tares come up. The tares are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sold them is the devil. And he said, the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. That's what's pictured here. So, it's an awful picture. But now let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. And when we look back at the beginning of the chapter, at those first five verses, what we're presented with here is the ultimate safety and security of those who belong to the Lamb. Now, interpreters of this book don't really know where these people are. These, we're going to talk about who they are in a minute. We're going to talk about where they are. But they don't know if they're already in heaven or if some of them are in heaven and some of them are on earth. It really doesn't matter because the ultimate safety and security of those who belong to the Lamb is pictured in these verses. Now let's unfold them. Let me just read them to you one more time. Then I looked, and behold, this is verse 1, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I don't take this to be a literal number. I take this to be a symbolic number representative of the total people of God. They are God's chosen people. We are told they are God's, in chapter 7, we are told they are God's servants, specifically God's servants must be sealed. The servants in chapter 1 are those to whom the book was to be written. The servants in the churches, they are the churches. The servants are the believers. The servants are, and it says here, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Let's read it as we continue. He said, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the, was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and for the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found because they are blameless. Sealed servants of God, number one. Next, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's easy to see. Next, they're redeemed from the earth. They're purchased. They're bought. Uh, they're set free. In chapter 1, as John begins to write, he writes this exclamation of worship to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. They're also virgins. This has, this has to do with faithfulness to Christ. And they've not committed adultery with the beast. This is the church. How can I establish that further? Let me establish it for you. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, this is what he said to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He said, For I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Christ 
to the church, the church to Christ. In Ephesians, Paul wrote in chapter 5 of Ephesians, listen to it, Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is the picture that you see here. These are the redeemed standing with Jesus on Mount Zion. Now, where is Mount Zion? What in the world does that mean? Well, Mount Zion is an eschatological place. It's an end-time place. Some people say, oh, it's a physical location on earth. Well, it may be, but let me just show you how it's also not in the Bible. First, let me read you from Joel chapter 2 about the end times from the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now Paul took that same passage of scripture and planted it in Romans chapter 10. And we talk about the Roman road to salvation. And in Romans chapter 10... He makes the case, using this passage of scripture for Joel, he makes the case for salvation by faith. And this is what he said, beginning to read in verse 12. He said, very carefully listen, for there is no distinction, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when a person is saved, something happens to that person. Do you know what happens to you when you're saved? When you are saved, you don't live here anymore. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's the kingdom of the beast and the dragon. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's where we are. Paul also in Ephesians talks about believers being in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus or in the heavenlies. Now one more passage of scripture that talk about physical places in the Bible and not physical places in the Bible. And it tells you as a Christian where you are today. Okay? This is where you are today. 
not where you will be, but where you are today. Where you stand today. You, if you stand with Jesus today, you are safe. You're not safe from suffering. You are not safe from sickness. You are not safe from sorrow. You are not safe from death. You are not even safe from the wrath of the dragon because the dragon is God's enemy and because he's God's enemy, he's your enemy and he roams about every day seeking whom he can devour. And that will be his intent and it will intensify as we move toward the last days. But you are safe. Listen to what he says here in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18. Referring to one of the holiest sites in the Old Testament, uh, Mount Sinai where Moses met with God and received the Ten Commandments, where, the, where God told the people then, he said, put a boundary around it and don't let anybody touch it. This place is so holy, nobody should touch it. And the writer of Hebrews wrote, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them for they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain it will be stoned and so terrible was the sight that Moses said I am full of fear and trembling that's a terrible holy place but the writer of Hebrews said you have not you, that's not where you are he went on to say you're somewhere better he said, but you have come to Mount Zion. That's where you are. To the city of the living God. To heavenly Jerusalem. To myriads of angels. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of, new, of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Reasons, truths like that made Paul say, what can separate us from the love of Christ? For I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today, where you sit, if you sit in church or if you sit in intensive care or if you sit at home on hospice about to die, you are safe and you are saved. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you have ultimate safety and security. And that will be yours, that will be yours now, that will be yours in the future. That will be yours whatever life brings or whatever the devil throws at you because you belong to Jesus. Now, if you belong to the beast, you need to read the verses that talk about what's going to happen to those folks because that's not safety and that's not security. That's one of the most frightening pictures in all the Bible. Who do you belong to? Let's pray.